This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. Thanks for checking out this podcast presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, or XL Energy Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota football, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. Call 612 312- 341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com Pabst Blue Ribbon Always smooth, always refreshing Gold medal winner at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival When you're this good, quality always comes through PBR Me, ASAP The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast. We are back on Wednesday, January, whatever the heck the day is today. I Sometime in the middle of January, in the middle of the football season. Uh, talking about the Vikings, talking about what's going on across the league and how it relates, even if it's only in a remote context, to the Vikings. Uh, ben Gessling from ESPN, as always. Uh, you'll have to pardon me gutting through a cold today. Much like Jordan in Game 6, uh, I am hopped up on meds. Uh, gutting it out, uh, certainly we'll try to give a performance that's at least somewhere near as memorable as that famous Michael Jordan game. Joined by Judd Zolgad and Matthew, longtime listener, first-time caller. Uh, to give my tribute to Chris Berman uh, with that nickname as Judd sits here and rolls his eyes. Guys, we will start today with the news that I guess tangentially relates to the Vikings. The Green Bay Packers, of course, playing for the NFC title this weekend uh, about, about two months after they were 4-6 and six and looked to be both dead and buried in not only the playoff race but in the NFC North. Um of course, Aaron Rodgers has gone on one of those Aaron Rodgers runs here, and the Packers are one game away from the Super Bowl. They're playing in their fourth NFC title game, I believe, in 10 years, dating back to their 2007 loss to the Giants. As this relates to the Vikings, guys, do we feel like this is a situation where the gap between these two teams is back to what it was? Is it Closer than we think based on the fact that Vikings had injuries and the fact that Aaron Rodgers is playing the way he is again, or is it getting wider? Uh, what do we think the state of the North is, especially as it relates to these two teams? Because with all due respect to the Lions, I still do think <laughs> the Vikings and the Packers, in some order, are the best two teams in the division, certainly the most two talented. So how do we judge the horse race between the two of them at the moment? I think any time that you're the team with the best quarterback, then you usually win. And that's been the case uh, between these two teams 
since the days of Favre, and then whatever team had Favre was the best, and then uh, we we went to Aaron Rodgers, and the Packers have owned for a very long time because of that, because that's the league that we're in right now. And when you look at these final four, the only thing that I can think is, boy, if the Vikings plan to win is to do it with defense and average quarterback play and hoping to stack up weapons around that average quarterback – Good luck, because it doesn't really happen all that often. Now, the next question is... Worked last year. So, yeah, right. I mean, there's a handful of times that it's worked in history, but there's a lot, lot, lot more times where it's worked for the great quarterbacks. And this is a Packers team that's just okay, that doesn't have a really good defense at all, that was missing its number one wide receiver, and Aaron Rodgers... quarter, I think. Yeah, and, and Aaron Rodgers just said, no, we're not we're not losing this game. And plus, how about a kicker who makes a clutch kick? That that also helps. Two. Two clutch 56 kicks. and 50. That, Three, I guess, are the guys to. Yeah, that, yeah you're right. That helps for uh that helps for winning playoff games, I've heard. I don't know if Blair Walsh can comment on that. But I I mean just in the league in general, it's been this way pretty much for since how long? I mean, since it turned into a quote passing league, right? I mean, you've seen you guys have all seen the AFC the graphic with the quarterbacks who've made it from the AFC, and it's three guys except yeah. for Joe Flacco one year. Who so, had a great Montana-like postseason right. the year he did it. So maybe maybe you do become that team, and you can try to convince yourself, yeah, we can be the Flacco Ravens, or we could be the Trent Dilfer Ravens, but you know how many other teams are also trying that model? About 15 other teams are hoping to do it the same way. I watched this playoffs thinking, man – it is a really, really, really tough road, and if you're ever going to beat any of these guys, Matt Ryan at his best or Aaron Rodgers, and even I might put Dak Prescott in this range too after the way he played, you're going to have to have a historically good defense, not just good. I am actually going to come with a bit of positivity here. Hear me out. All right. The gap appeared to be um, closed in 2015. It got to the point where I think early – in 2016, I actually sat there and said, man, it's weird to see the Vikings have surpassed the Packers right. and, and that this is now a rivalry again because it can't be when the Packers are winning year after year after year. I will say this. I don't think this is so much about the Vikings stopping the Packers because the Vikings defense, Zimmer was hired for the sole purpose of what? The Vikings got... They knew that they didn't have a great quarterback, and so they said, if we're going to work backwards from this, we, right. need, we need to get a defense that can stop them. So I would say the most important thing here and, and where the gap exists actually is on offense. And so what we need to see is, can the Vikings address an offensive line that needs three-fifths of it needs to be replaced? It was a dumpster fire. Can they get a run game back? So... I don't think the focus, if the Vikings are healthy defensively, I think they stand a very decent chance. Yeah. Where I think we need to look at and see where the moves might come is can they rebuild the offense enough for it to be respectable? Because if you play the Packers and you, you can hold them to 21 points, that's great. Now the question becomes, can you score 24? And what we saw in the second half of this year from the Vikings was not consistently. Right. So I don't think the I don't think the real conversation is about can you stop the Packers quarterback because I think this defense can slow the quarterback but the offense was awful. And so everything to me has to be geared around can you fix the offense and get a run game back and can you give can you give Bradford a chance to look good? Yeah. Cuz they didn't by by the time we got to about week 9 
they didn't give the guy a chance. He had no chance to look good. Yeah, I mean, and I think the thing, I guess, to look at it from the positive side of things from a Vikings fan, you, I mean, you look at the, the state of the roster, yes, there are some major upgrades that need to be made on the offensive side of the ball, but you can look at it and say even with that, they were two games behind the Packers in the division this year. Now, the Packers probably lost some games that, they shouldn't have and, and probably had their defense. I mean, the Packers had a lot of injuries on that side of the ball, and that probably hurt them in, at times as well. But, I, you know, you look at the Vikings roster and say, boy, if they fix their offensive line, that may be easier said than done. But if they do it and they get a running back and then maybe a receiver possibly, they could be right there again. Now, the question is, can that work the whole way through? Because it seems like we see that work in the regular season, but when it comes to playoff time, like Matthew was saying, more often than not, it's the quarterbacks dictating the flow of things. It's the guys like Roethlisberger, Brady, Rodgers, Breeze, Peyton Manning, um, Russell Wilson at times. So it seems like for whatever reason, that ability to dominate on defense gets, it almost seems like it gets tougher in the playoffs, doesn't it? And it seems like more times than not, the quarterback is the one who wins out in the end. The team that has the quarterback is the one that wins out in the end, win the games matter the most, not just in the regular season. And that's what we haven't really seen from the Vikings yet because to bring it back around to what you were pointing out earlier, they did not play a deep playoff run last year because Blair Walsh missed the kick. Right, and, they missed and, a field goal. Right, and, and you can look at other things like the Adrian Peterson fumble in that game as well. But had Blair Walsh made the kick, then you get to see can this work over a course of a couple of weeks. We haven't seen it yet, so that's why we don't really have a full answer to that part of the question. I think the biggest question for me is, so, all right, you're never going to have Aaron Rodgers if you are the uh, Minnesota Vikings. At the at best, maybe you have Teddy Bridgewater back at some point, or you have Sam Bradford. Those are your two quarterback options immediately. So what you have to say is, all right, Aaron Rodgers can single-handedly, doesn't all, matter who's even playing wide receiver for him, as long as he's got good protection, he can just do this all his self. Well, all right, can you come anywhere close to that type of production with your offense with everything else around that quarterback? That's To me, that's the question. Now, I look at Matt Ryan, and I say the narrative around Matt Ryan the last couple of years was, are they even going to keep him long-term yeah. because of his giant contract and because he had, I wouldn't say underperformed, but he didn't light anybody on In fire. playoffs, he's had some gag jobs. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. They yeah. lost a lot of playoff games at home. They have, and they've so they've underperformed there, and his statistics were good, but not hashtag elite, or uh, as PJ Flack would say, Flack. yeah, that's right. Appreciate they're the they're not, they weren't elite, and now all of a sudden this year he's got a hundred and seventeen quarterback rating, and he's the MVP of the league, either him, Rogers, or Tom Brady. And, and you also have Matthew Stafford at a little bit of the same thing with a change in offensive coordinator. And so, it, you know, with Kyle Shanahan in Atlanta, just a lot, lot better production from Matt Ryan. So now you say, well, what exactly did they do to take a quarterback that was good? And I'll say much better than Sam Bradford even before in terms of what they had done previously. So maybe the ceiling is a little bit higher. But can you get Bradford's play up to a level, maybe not of MVP of the league, but just really, really good? And I wonder, there's two conflicting thoughts. Is it, all right, protect him, give him a couple of more weapons, give him a running game, that's one, give him a little more creativity on offense, but are there fundamental issues with Bradford that are going to restrict you the same way that Alex Smith is restricted in Kansas City? 
What would it take in your guys' mind to get uh, Week Five Bradford back against the Texans? That's a good now question. that that guy was pressured, but that guy played really well. And the thing with Bradford is, I can't decide: is he really conservative because he was scared for his own health and because of play calling, or is that just him? And if they turn him loose, he's still going to take the check down. So, what would it take to get back to Week Five against the Texans? And get that guy. Because if you got that guy, I think you're pretty happy. Yeah. I don't think you're sitting there complaining. And, and that might not be a great quarterback, but that that guy can win you games, especially with that defense. The tipping point for me with that, and it's interesting you bring that game up, because I remember asking him after that game why it worked so well for him to be able to throw it out of the field that day. And, and the thing he said is they played a lot of man coverage. And that was the, the, the teams that we saw Sam Bradford go down the field against was that game? It was Jacksonville when they were playing a lot of cover three, which turns into man coverage. If you threaten those rece- threaten those corners vertically, you have the single coverage on the outsides and the safety over the middle. It almost seems like, I mean, we've all talked about it, how much Sam Bradford likes to look for his first read and, and how much he tends to, to dial in on that at times. And that's fine if you read that at the line of scrimmage and you know where you want to go with the ball. You make that throw, that's great. It doesn't have to be some type of thing where you're going to your third and fourth read. It is as much as we, you know, TV analysts might like to gush about that, working through your progression, extending a play. If you know where you're going to go with the ball right away, take it. Great. That's fine. Go down the field to Adam Thielen for 25 yards. The question is, can he do that when you have more confusing coverages over the top, when you have safeties over the top, that he can't get to those throws quite as easily? He's not going to be a mobile guy. He's not going to be a guy that extends plays in the way of a Rodgers or a Roethlisberger. Or even, I think, it's certainly Russell Wilson, but I think we've even seen Drew Brees do that at times where he's got good pocket presence and can move around and, and do some of those things. But can he beat more complex coverages? Because I, I, you mentioned that Houston game. It was the next game they played in Philadelphia where we heard the Eagles talking about we knew there were some coverages he didn't like from practicing against him. We threw a lot of those at him, and uh, you know it sort of started to, to come apart from there. I mean, his play statistically was still good, but... I know. I think we saw some of the issues with the offense come up from that point. So, can he succeed throwing down the field when it's not just those coverages that he likes? I mean that that to me is where the tipping point is, and, and we'll see what he can do with another year in the offense, another year to get more comfortable, and, and all of that. But that might be one of the things that provides the answer to that question is how he does in those types of situations. And I think that that is exactly why he struggled so much in terms of yards per attempt on third down. <clears throat> because what defenses do a lot of times, especially if it's third and seven, third and ten, somewhere in that range, is they drop everybody back, and there's somebody over the top of everybody. The The whole plan is to keep everything in front of them, and Bradford can't make his adjustments at that point. I mean, there were plenty of times this year, and I went back and looked, especially that Thanksgiving Day game against yeah. the Lions, and <clears throat> there were plenty of opportunities there for him where he actually had blocking. Believe it or not, in that game, for the most part, he had blocking on third down. It's a pretty milquetoast pass rush, yeah. that, especially when Ziggy outside isn't getting any sacks. It is, it is not a good defensive line no. for the Lions. So two games against the Lions where he was not pressured a whole lot, mm-hmm. and the same issue continued to happen. And that's the thing. So I, I even went back and said, okay, he couldn't have had a bad offensive line this bad his entire career. Philadelphia had Jason Peters protect, uh, protecting his backside. So looking back, well, how did he do on third down there? Even worse in Philadelphia than he did here this year and had the same problem even with some good Rams teams over his career. I think what 
the issue is with Sam Bradford is that he is when he's got a one-on-one matchup and he just has to make a throw. He, he's as good as anybody. Yep. He's a number one overall pick. He can th- he can make incredible throws over the top of guys. He can throw it into tight windows. Plays that just make you go, "Wow, what a play!" But in terms of actually getting to that next level of a Rogers Breeze, whatever that can move around in the pocket, even when even when there's pass rush, that's not going to happen. It, and that's the thing with, and it's happen. not because of his legs, because Tom Brady is the slowest person in the history of the earth. Instance. and. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. There is a panic point in Sam Bradford that is that, different than these my other point. guys. My my point is this: Can you get that week five guy back? Yeah, that's that's not Brady. But I think I mean, those were all first read uh, throws. So I, I think so. You know the what answer I, might be no, and my, if that's the case, then it might be a, a long term problem. My answer is no because. We saw it happen against the Indianapolis Colts, where they clearly just had a better game plan than the Vikings and just ripped them apart. I think that's exactly what happened to the Texans that day. They just did not have a, a good game plan that matched up well with this team, and they just got beat one day. But that player isn't coming back, I don't think. That's Sam Bradford. I think we'll see him occasionally when they out-game plan somebody. But if you don't and you have to make adjustments on the fly, I think you're going to have a lot of days where you're disappointed in Sam Bradford. Hey guys, it's Phil Mackey from 1500 ESPN and one of the hosts of Sports Over Beers, the original 1500ESPN.com podcast where you find your favorite 1500 ESPN personalities drinking beer and talking sports. Pretty simple. Find it on iTunes, Podcast One, and 1500ESPN.com. Pabst Blue Ribbon is always smooth, always refreshing, and the perfect choice at the game or out with friends. And now, add gold to the great PBR tradition, because Pabst Blue Ribbon was awarded the gold medal for American-style lager at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. That makes four gold medals for PBR in the last 11 years. Not bad. It's that gold medal taste that has made Pabst Blue Ribbon a Twin Cities favorite. When you're this good, quality always comes through. Go for the gold. PBR me. ASAP. Here's the guy to me that should give any quarterback hope that doesn't have the extend the play type skills of a Rodgers or a Roethlisberger or doesn't have the biggest arm in the world. The the guy to me that gives you the belief that if you are great at the line of scrimmage, if you can read a defense like an open book, and I think you know the name I'm going to say, you don't have to have the greatest arm in the world. That's Peyton Manning. I, is is Sam Bradford that type of sleuth in terms of deciphering defenses? Probably not, but it is possible to be less than the optimum quarterback from a physical standpoint if you could do something at the line of scrimmage. Now, I, I think I know what you're going to say, that, that people aren't going to be Peyton Manning in that regard. Peyton Manning was unique, but right. Sam Bradford is a better route than Peyton Manning. If, if you could get some degree of being able to decipher coverages and, and know what's going to happen at the line, I think you can make up for a little bit of that. Two things come to mind off that. W- one is the football acumen with Manning was so high, just off the charts. Uh, that's one. But two is, keep in mind, Charlie Johnson, who was a bust here, right? Left tackle, left guard. Yep. Charlie Johnson actually graded out pretty good with the Colts at left tackle because Manning's delivery was so quick. And right. that's where... I don't think Bradford has the ability. I don't see when when he's in the pocket that there's a sense of pressure there. I think he sort of gets nervous and feels something, but Manning had the ability to drop back and boom, it's gone. 
like a dart. With Bradford, I saw a guy who very much need needs time, which is fine. But I, I, I don't think you can get him up to that. I think what you could do, though, is hope that with a run game and some protection, that he can operate consistently from the pocket. But to Collar's point, that could be a concern too. I mean, there's there's no given that this is going to to work out. Your problem is Bridgewater's not coming back anytime soon. Yeah, Mike Zimmer's and, comments on Sports Center on Sunday did not lead me. I to think, think he might that, be done. Yeah, they but, did not lead me to think that it's going to be anytime near. But the, the cons- near future. but the concern becomes this: if if they go and beef up the line and the offense is serviceable and Bradford still struggles there, then you're just sort of stuck. And that's that's a hell of a place to be, but that's the reality. To your point, though, Ben, with Peyton Manning, one of the things that he had was complete control of the offense. Yes. It, was, it was his offense, yes. more or less. So the question for me would be then, Pat Shermer will now have an entire off uh, season to think about everything that happened this year as opposed to just having it happen on the fly and with a behind-the-scenes power struggle going on. Right. Just a very messy situation for Pat Shermer. Now, he's been with Sam Bradford for a long time. He's got to know what we know, right, about his shortcomings. But they have always talked about Bradford's ability to read the defense and I think it's almost can be a little bit of his problem that he makes like the right play all the time, the safe play all the time. It's like dumping the puck out of the zone. Like, yeah, that's not going to Smith. You're going. Right, Alex it's Smith. not going to get you beat if you dump it out, but you're never going to score on the other end. Right. So you got to take some risks. You need an element of that far of screw it. I would have tried to make a play. Yeah, and I don't to, think to a degree. I don't think that's ever going to be there. But can you design an offense where he has more options himself? at the line of scrimmage because I think he's going up with the play that he has and just going to the read that's designed for that play. Can he go up and read what he's looking at and say, I have enough control of this offense myself to say, you know, to make changes, to make checks, to make, I I don't know how much control there is there. Well, yeah, one last point on this and we'll move on to a different subject, but that is an interesting thing you bring up because there was that little sort of back and forth in press conferences between him and North Turner Early in the season where he talked about wanting more control, right? I mean, did he kind of say that in a press conference? Bradford did? Yeah. Am I remembering that right? Did he kind of get up there and say that he he wanted a little bit more authority at the line of scrimmage and and be able to check in and out of things and get in the right play? And I think he talked about it in in the context of the running game, being able to change things on the line. What I have always heard with North Turner, and I I think it's how much of it was him – having tighter reins because he had a young quarterback and Teddy Bridgewater here and how much of it was just the way he was, I'm not quite sure. I mean, it, you don't have all of the answers to that question, but somebody told me a story about a player that had joined the team that they were running a goal line drill in practice, and he had been with other teams where the quarterback had a lot more control of the line of scrimmage. They got to, in the huddle, and they got to the line, I think. They looked at the defensive matchup, and it was clear that the play was not going to work. And they ran it, and it got stuffed. He goes to a couple of the guys and say, don't we have the option to check out of that? And somebody just kind of laughed and said, hey, yeah, we don't do that here. So, I mean, when I heard that, like... Childress got, got mad. Yeah. Childress got mad once when he moved... When Favre moved Tahi in 2009 at basically the goal line, Favre moved his fullback slightly, yeah. and they scored a touchdown. Favre comes off the field, and Brad's like, why'd you change that? And Brett gave just some wise-ass response back. But these guys are such, but these guys are such control. 
Yeah, I, I guess I poor. changed it. But these get the control freak nature of this league is off the charts. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is the ego trips and the control and and how coach it's it is off the charts. Yeah, which, and Pat Shermer obviously is a guy that coached with Brad Childers from Philadelphia. It should be that should be pointed out. But it also, I think, should be pointed out that these guys have enough of a relationship that you sure. hope there's a little more latitude but there. Just quickly, a West Coast system that was run by Andy Reid and Childress and Company in Philadelphia, which is now run and pretty much going to be the same as what you see in Kansas City with Alex Smith, which yes, is sir. Collar's greatest fear in life, which <laughs> is Bradford officially turns into Smith because the offenses are one uh, and the same. It is really interesting, though, that you bring that up, that uh, there was so much control because... Aaron Rodgers wins that game by drawing it up in the Yeah, dirt. that was unbelievable and, to read and that. I, and, I, and, you know, there's always these myths and fairy tales, but the cameras catch him doing it. They're yeah. showing him in the huddle, literally pointing in different directions, saying, you go here, you go there. And I'm not saying that Sam Bradford would ever have that capability. Some guys have been the same offense for 11 years. Well, very true, but... Sam Bradford is a very, very talented player. This is not like you're saying, hey, Nick Foles, go draw it up in the dirt or something, or go read the line of scrimmage. You're saying this about a former number one overall pick with one of the best arms in the NFL. Like, can he do that? Can he uh, have more control and read some defenses and make some bigger plays that way? Or is it just not there? I guess without working with him on a daily basis, it's really hard to know that. There are, in, in your guys' mind, how many quarterbacks could make that throw? I'd go with about three, maybe. Who else? That throw on the run, and his feet aren't set. Who's the other two? That's a remarkable thing, right? His I, feet aren't set. I would say Roethlisberger. Russ. Roethlisberger, I think, I, can make I that I think throw. Russell Wilson can make that throw. Yeah, okay. I think his arm is freakish. Yeah, I, he, and he's got big hands. I mean, that, he's, he's Rogers the anti-short quarterback. But Rodgers is on the move and never regard. really – he set his feet and then reset them, and as he as he's going to the reset, I believe, he makes that throw. That's well, what's remarkable about that It just that looks throw. like a little flick come out of his mm-hmm. hand, too. Yeah, it's it's the peak. Well, and the catch was was unbelievable. But, but as keep well, in mind but... too, it came against a Dallas defense that's really bad. Yes, that yes. that's the one thing is is as remarkable as Aaron was during that game, he was doing it against a defense that really isn't good. Yeah, and they were going to face another one this weekend that isn't that good as well. We don't offer a lot of gambling tips on this show, but if we had one for this weekend for the NFC title game, it would be this: bet the over. Now, Mackey thinks that's a sucker play because it's 60 and a half. He says take the under. 60 and a half? So you might want to go talk to Phil Ben Gessling, and you guys can bet money. <laughs> I uh, I probably do not have Phil's knowledge of either... Being a derelict? Uh, gambling, <laughs> being, being a derelict or uh, contrarianism, but uh, I, I offer what I have. But uh, I can confirm. Yes. We we will uh, we'll let Aaron Rodgers and... Uh, the, the least favorite team of everybody that listens to this show uh, live for now. We'll move back to the Vikings. Matthew, you wrote something this week about free agents, upcoming free agents for the Vikings, and who stays and who goes. Uh, I, I want to spend a little time looking at the pending free agents here, and, and we'll just each kind of give our, our, our two cents on which guys are back, which guys are not, and why. Sure. I uh, What I did was I either listed guys as a high odds of return low odds of return or 50-50. And it's just my guess of where the team might stand, and it always depends on what their agents want, if they want to leave. We don't know who doesn't like the weather here. You know what I mean? But just if they would want them back on the roster. 40 degrees outside today. What's yeah, it's a really nice to like? day today. They, really they nice might day. not like the coach, too. Keep that in mind. Oh, well, that's a whole other yeah, podcast right yeah, there. Yeah, it's... Uh... 
But uh, just throwing it out there. So okay, the so we'll, sandwich we'll, for the sports group. We'll run through some of them. Jeff Locke. No, I'm just kidding. We'll start with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the debate you've all been waiting for, Purple Podcast fans, is the putter going to say? I say he probably does. Uh, Cordero Patterson. I listed him as odds of return being pretty good because I, I think he emerged as a playmaker in the offense. I also got the idea that Sam Bradford liked having him around, and it's worth mentioning that he is the best kick returner since he came into the league, and I don't even know if it's close, and is representing them in the Pro Bowl again. So he might want too much money, uh, but I think if they had their way, they would want him back in the offense. That's an interesting one. <laughs> we can spend I'm going to sit on the fence. On I want to hear what you think. Uh, is I this, will offer my Does this question it. come from a standpoint of what you think the Vikings should do, the player, or both? I think it's what the Vikings want. Okay. I, think, I think that um, they would want him back because he made an impact in the offense. Can and I answer teams. both ways then? Okay, yeah, sure. The Vikings want to get Patterson back, I believe, would be high by now. Yes. Despite what Patterson told us at the end of the year, I believe his camp, it's low. Because I believe that somebody's going to come to him and offer him a really good contract. And more importantly, they're going to sit him down and say, here's how you've been misused for the past four seasons, son. And we are going to show you how what we are going to do. Look at what Montgomery did in Green Bay, playing in the running back position. You are far more than a kick returner, and we understand that if we just send you out on pass routes, that's not your strength, but you're going to play a ton, and we are going to get creative. And the Vikings never did that consistently with you besides your first year. So I think, in the end, his want to return will be low. I mean, That's going to be the interesting thing, because that argument works better when you're using it against North Turner, who is no longer employed by the Vikings. I mean, he had three coordinators. Patterson's had three coordinators in four years here, and it's hard to make a concrete argument about how they used him because it changed a lot. But the the question for me with Patterson is, what does the contract look like? Do you pay him like a kick returner? Do you pay him like a receiver? Do you pay him like a gimmick guy? I mean, somebody's going to pay him precedent? pretty well, I think. I, would I think, think someone's going to be very true. intrigued by he. He brings a lot of attributes – that if you get creative, he could be a very valuable player. I would be nervous, though, if I'm whether I'm the Vikings or anybody else, about throwing a lot of upfront money at him. I, I, I think it should not be discounted that he had a good year and he was willing to be a gunner and, and do all these other things after they had declined his fifth-year option and in a year where he needed to prove himself. I, I would be a little bit nervous with him about giving him a bunch of guaranteed money and seeing how he'd react to it. That said... I think there's a place for him in the offense. I think they would have – I would agree they'd have high interest, but what does the market look like and what does he think is going to be the big question? I think that they should probably even overpay for him to come back if they feel like they can turn him into what Tyreek Hill was for Kansas right. City because that's what he is for his skill set. But I feel like he was only halfway used in that way, and at other times in his career he was used in more creative fashions and they got more out of him that it's a playmaker's league, and he's a playmaker. Bill Musgrave did it. Yeah. It was his rookie year with Muskie, who I couldn't stand. Uh, All right, hit us with the next one. Okay, Matt Khalil, I say low chance that he comes back. I think they're going to want more guarantee of good play there instead of just hopes and dreams. I actually would disagree with you there. I think it's a high chance he comes back because the free agent tackle market is not good, as we've discussed, and – I think there's a desire from him to stay in Minnesota. Remember, he got married to a girl from Minnesota. Um, got the pie places. He's got the pie places here. I, I think there is a desire from some segment of the Vikings probably to say, 
we spent a fourth overall pick on this guy. Let's see things through. We know what he is. We know what he's not. But we can at least work with that. I I think uh, now I say that, and you have to factor in the element of the rising cap and that there's going to be a lot of money floating around this offseason. But I actually think there's a pretty good chance he's back. Whether that makes a lot of sense is another question, but uh, I, I think he's back. I say a high. I say three three year contract, and the Vikings are going to be emboldened by by the fact that he had surgery because they're going to say you you were great as a rookie. You battled injuries after that. That's why your uh, play fell off so bad, and that they're now going to come back and say he's healthy. And we all know that Rick Spielman likes to be right, and Rick's going to say. This guy was worth that draft pick, and damn it, on this contract, he's going to prove it. Okay, that that element of it, I think, is important. I, I don't think at any point since his rookie year that he's been a good player. No, I would agree with that. And I and that, to me, would be, if I'm thinking like the team, um, I would just say I need, I need much more assurance that this player is going to be good there because we're not messing around. This is another win-now year. Um, the next guy, Captain Munnerlin, which I have at 50-50 because I think if Mackenzie Alexander had shown real potential this year, it would be a low chance that he returns. But since Alexander barely got on the field, and when he did, he got penalized a lot and struggled, uh, that I think that there's an argument to bring him back. But I also think that he might want more money than they want to pay. I think... I'm I'm either 50-50 on that one or low because I think there's a good chance that he's going to go out there and say, I want to be more than a nickel quarter. I think he's going to say, I can be more than a nickel quarter, and there may be some team that says, we are going to pay you and plan to use you like more than that. I, I think if there's a team that comes out and says, you know what, you're a proven player, you're only 28 years old, yeah. we can make it work with you in our base defense, we are not going to limit ourselves to the fact that you're five nine or whatever he actually is. Five five eight, five nine, something like that. We can play you on an every now basis. Or we spend so much time on the nickel that you're gonna be out there eighty percent of the time anyway. I, I think there is going to be a team that comes along and entices him with that kind of a proposition and that's why I ultimately think he's gone. I think the player I think for on the player side it's low, team side high though. He's necessary. And, yeah, and I would agree. And they're going to and they, they should listen, have learned that lesson. What, the reason they signed him in the first place is because they learned the lesson with Antoine Woodfield. And Captain's a smart guy. If you come to him with, with a good contract and tell him, "Look at your snap counts, and you fit perfectly in this role." I mean, if you go play the, the outside, it's much more dicey. He is a really good slot guy. Uh, so team wise, I think it's almost imperative because the the potential step down at a really important position would be pretty massive. Terrence, Depends what you think of Mackenzie Alexander, I guess. Yeah. And I don't know what to make of him. Yeah. Terrence Newman is the next one. And I also listed this at 50-50 because what happened at the end of the season with the Packers certainly would make you lean toward, boy, I, I don't know if they, he can come back with Zimmer at this point, but they've had such a long relationship. You could probably patch that up if there's enough money involved. And Newman played really, yeah. really well. The other thing about Newman is, so let's say that Munnerlin says, sorry, guys, I'm going elsewhere. Well, you could also you could play Trey Wayans and have Newman move into the nickel spot, and he can also move back to safety if necessary. He is so, so versatile within the defense and has continued to play so well at a later age that another one-year contract – to me, would make a lot of sense, but there might be in Newman's mind, like, all right, I've had a great career, but yep. I'm I'm going to go just hang out now. Yeah, I'm with you on fifty fifty there. I think it depends on what he wants to do, and and he's a guy that 
he he's an interesting dude. I mean, he he's very much his own man. He's going to do what he wants to do, and I think that's ultimately going to decide it because he certainly had played well enough to be back. And I don't get that worried about the age with him because he's, he's, he's going to be what next season? 39, 39 Ooh. September. Okay. But, you know, we could have said the same thing at 37, 38, and he played really well for two years. He's smart enough. He keeps himself in good enough shape that I think you can diminish some of the worry about the age drop off. Now, at that age, if it happens, it's going to happen quickly. Mm-hmm. That's the one caveat to that is that he could show up and be like, oh, it's, you know, he's lost a step. It's just not there anymore and it's not coming back. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that whatever rift there was in the relationship between him and Mike Zimmer is not going to be so great that it can't be patched up. I think it's going to depend on ultimately what he wants to do. And, and if uh, he wants to be back, I think there'd be a place for him. I say it's low. I say I say he, he's either sm- smart enough to to walk away and or Rick Spielman tells him, number one, that guy stabbed you in the back w- when it mattered, and number two, I drafted Trey Waynes for a reason. Play him yeah. way more. Mm-hmm. You're not. I took him with a first-round pick, and you're spotting him in. I want him and Rhodes to start. They do need to figure out what so I That's So true. I say all things must pass. It's been great, but eventually relationships come to an end sometimes, and they might get, a divorce might take place after 25 years. I say the divorce takes place. All right, those are the big ones. How about we do quick hits on the rest of them? All right. Uh, Matt Asiata, I say very low chance he's back. I would agree. It's been fun. <laughs> I guess. Uh, <laughs> it's been something. Chad Greenway, low chance he retires probably. Low chance he retires or, or low chance? Low, low, low chance, chance he comes back. He retires, he retires. probably. Yes. Sorry, my grammar was bad. No, it's just punctuation. It's hard to, to uh, figure out on the year. I would agree. Low chance, semicolon. He retires, comma, probably. Low chance he's back. I think he retires. <laughs> all right. That no, was a lot of work for that. No chance he's back, but he will be at all games, is my guess, in the radio booth. Okay. Sean Hill, also, I say very low chance that he's back. Also, could retire or they could move on. Yeah, I would agree. Now, now the question there is what do you do with that backup quarterback spot? Because Taylor Heineke died. Well, it could be. I mean,. Do you trust that enough, or do you say we need a veteran backup, assuming that Teddy is not going to be ready and he starts season on the pup list? I, I, I think, say no chance he's back. Right I think I don't it, think Hill's back, but that, that that spot is interesting to me. You need another guy to be in there at least at training camp, right, with yeah, Heineke? Because you asked Mike Zimmer how Heineke was coming along, and he was basically like, he there's no answer there because he isn't getting any reps. Yeah. So I don't even really know. And I'm sure they were not happy about the fact that, nor should they have been happy about the fact that, the reason they didn't get to see him in training camp when he, oh, by the way, had a chance to beat Sean Hill out for the number two spot was because he put his foot through a door coming back from a bad movie uh, late at night. And that's the story, and he's summer. sticking to it. Yeah. Yes. And, and Jeff Kent hurt his back washing his truck, too. Kevin Love was I'm doing sure. knuckle push-ups, yeah. too. Yeah, right? Uh, there was a guy who was it that dro- dropped his cell phone. That from the Cowboys. Himself. Yes. McFadden. Yeah, no one's back. buying that either. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Locke. I say Jeff Locke's probably back. I think he is, too. He's a Spielman draft pick. Of course he's back. Uh, for like some Pride goeth before that fall. Andre Smith, almost no chance. No, he's gone. He gone. What a bad signing. No chance he's back. Red Ellison, I say high chance he's back. I agree. Sure, yeah. Uh, block. Jake Long, no chance he plays again in football. He retires. Correct. Uh, Zach Line, fullback 50-50. I mean, they, they could try to improve there, use the roster spot for something else, but he's fine. Yeah, I mean, they, they've liked him, and he can do – other things occasionally. I mean, he can catch the ball. We've seen him do How much it does he every do, once though? in a while. 
Not all. I mean, because you can just find a cheaper right, replacement if but you want. He's not going to. He's not going to be that expensive. I mean, he's going to be a free agent, but I don't million think he's one. Gonna, yeah, I mean, you're I, talking about 15 plays a game, basically. Yeah, you could get. Yeah, I mean, if you fine. wanted to get a rookie, that's fine. Back. That's fine. He's back. Okay, uh, Audie Cole. I say probably back as a special teamer, backup, 50-50 maybe. Yeah. I don't even know what to yeah. say about that one. 50, yeah, 50 And the same goes, guy. sorry, Judd, the same goes left for... Me out of that Judd, one. We yeah. want to know what Adi Judd Cole. thinks about Adi Cole. <laughs> don't you want to know what I think of Adi Cole? No. Yeah, he's back. Uh, and Justin Tratto. Yeah, okay, now, we're, so, I, now I don't <laughs> care. Now I don't hey, care. Hey, I listed <laughs> all of them, okay? Uh, just They like Justin Tratto. He is, he's made some plays at times. <laughs> some, sir? I think he's back. Okay. I don't um, care about Justin Tratto. I, I his care. mother does. Justin Tratto is famous for one thing in Minnesota, and only Having to great hair, and only to the media, which is the time after practice that he ran full oh, speed, gosh, yes. full speed into Close Adam with this story, Adam Thielen. So we all walked in after practice to talk to the players, and Thielen was catching passes, and Tratto was running sprints. And Tratto had his head down. This is a guy who's like 270 No pounds, helmet on, right? No helmet on, running full speed. Thielen went to catch a pass from somebody. With a helmet on. And they collided head to head. Wow. And Tratto just stood there with f- blood bleeding down his face, looking like a heavy metal show. Yeah. Or like, <laughs> or like, yes. and, and so Tratto is walking toward the locker room to get a towel to clean up his bloody head. <laughs> this is the crazy thing. He didn't fall. Like, he just ran head-to-head <laughs> with a man with a helmet on and did not fall so down. So he's just bleeding profusely, but he never goes to the yes. ground. Okay. Yeah. And then Jarek McKinnon walked out of the locker room, not having known what happened at all, and looked at Tratto with blood streaming down his entire face and went, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> and the best part of that to me was he was listed on the injury report with a face injury. Forehead, not? I think. Forehead. Oh, was he yes. really? Yes. So that got him on the injury report. It did he get him on the injury report. very forthcoming at Winter Park. Yeah, he yeah, had it, a very, very, I think he said he had to have a ton of stitches and had yes. like a very big bandage. But yes. It, that, it was an ugly scene, but it was, uh, we can all laugh a, about it Yes, now. grizzly scene at yes. practice. Well, we will wrap it there for the week we, before anybody else gets hurt, metaphorically or otherwise. We'll be back next week probably to break down the Super Bowl matchup, depending on uh, who it includes, but certainly plenty of interesting possibilities there we will break it down one way or the other and we will also look at uh the state of some of the new coaching hires in the nfl we were going to talk about that today we can get into that as more of them become known in the next week but uh thanks for listening to this episode enjoy championship weekend we'll talk to you next week whether it's baker's simple truth turkey or mac and cheese with murray's english cheddar or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays, and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy Five or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan LEAF. It can move racing forward and take your breath away, like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by LEAF owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change.